as I said earlier, we're finishing off our rebuild series. And just for those who've, who've missed it, I want to catch us up because the re rebuilding process is important to follow. Because, again, um, for those who've ever built anything, if you put things in the wrong order, like whether it's a, a telephone you're putting back together, if you put it, it doesn't work. A car, if you can't put the engine uh, as a steering wheel, it doesn't work that way. They've got to be in the right place at the right time. And so we've been looking at this idea of rebuilding through the book of Nehemiah. And um, we started at this point that um, maybe some of you don't think about 12, but it's about rebuilding our relationship with God. Um, coming to a point where we go, you know what, maybe I'm not as close to God as I should be, or maybe I haven't even been with God at all, and I really need to come to that point. And because out of that, everything else flows. Uh, then we basically got to the point where we, we rebuild our faith. Um, and Nehemiah went before the king and he, he said, I want your help to come and, and, and to, to support me to be able to go back and rebuild the wall around the city where my, my ancestors came from. Because remember, Nehemiah wasn't even in his home country. He was probably born um, either in Babylon or Persia and he was living in a foreign place, but he was living in the palace. So again, he's probably not too disappointed, not too uncomfortable in the morning. Okay, he wasn't camping in like a little mud shack outside. He was in a in a quite a luxurious position, but his heart broke over his city being in ruins. And so he asked the king, and the king granted to him. And what did Nehemiah do? He said, "All this happened because of God's hand." Nehemiah didn't go. Do you know what? I was really good. I actually had a really five point plan that I presented to the king, and he was really convinced. I was I was really good at, at my marketing everything. No, he said, "All this happened because of God's hand was involved." And so Nehemiah made his way back to the city and he, he did something very deliberate. When he got there, he didn't tell the people what he was doing and he went all the way around the city on a donkey and it was, it was so torn down at places that he couldn't even get through with the donkey. He had to go sort of backtrack and get around the city. And so then he came before the, the leaders of, of those who had come back from, from um, Babylon and Persia and he said to them, this is what I've come to do. I've come back to rebuild the wall. And he started to rebuild their faith and rebuild their vision and rebuild his own as he captured what God wanted him to do. And then he shared about what God had done and what God had provided. And all of a sudden the people's faith and vision grew and it brought them back to a place where they too were wanting to rebuild their relationship with God. And then we basically looked at um, rebuilding our momentum. Momentum is one of those things, as we, we shared, that it, it's, it's, when it's going, it's, it's actually working really well. When things go to plan, but all of a sudden you just you lose that little bit of a, a step or you trip a little bit and you fall flat on your face. But it can be really difficult when you've actually got to get to a place where you've got to start from a, a sort of stagnant point. And this year has really been like that. We've, we've kind of, we're going along as a church like this and we've hit a wall and we've kept going a little bit. And it's sort of like trying to push like a square boulder up a hill. It doesn't roll very well. But as we started coming back together, we started to pick up momentum again. But again, momentum is, is, is one step at a time and it builds up speed. But many hands actually make momentum work better. And so God is calling us to be able to come together and serve Him. And last week we looked at rebuilding hope. Because, again, in the midst of these times, and, and, and especially in Nehemiah's time, there's a, this idea that when things aren't working very well, when you don't have hope, you can get to a point where you just want to give up. And so, again, hope is sort of... It kind of hope works well with momentum, 
But hope needs to work in spite of there being no momentum. No momentum. In fact, hope we talked about last week was the certainty of the things that we have with God. It's not that, oh, I hope this happens kind of hope. I hope I get this for Christmas. I hope grandma or, or mum or dad actually can sort of hear the hints that I'm dropping for this latest gadget that I want for Christmas. I hope, I hope my kids actually remember it is my birthday. Not that kind of hope. I hope that the answers I put down on my test were right, even though I don't know if they were even close. That, that's sort of a false hope. The hope that we're having with God is a certainty. It's something that we can build a foundation upon. And that leads us to today. And today kind of wraps it all up. It kind of makes it all secular but because we want to talk about rebuilding our purpose. And, and our purpose gives us our why we do things. And, and the thing is, I think growing up like and, and different stage of life, we, we can lose sight of our big why and we kind of go, I'm so busy at the moment. All I know, I've got to get up each day. I've got to go to work. I've got to do my job. I've got to go home again. And, and I've got to repeat that process. And the problem is, that's okay for a season. But sometimes we can let that season become a year, two years, and the ten years. And all of a sudden, we can get to a point in our life going, I don't know why I'm doing the things that I'm doing over and over again. However, when you get the why right in the right place, you can keep doing what you're doing, but it gives reason to what you're doing. Why do I bother disciplining my children when they cause me such stress? Why do I keep saying no? Why do I keep sort of saying stop that, stop fighting all the time? Why? Because I want my kids to grow into adults with character. There's a reason for it, but in the midst of it sometimes, I can sort of go lose my cool and go, you know what? I've had enough. You go to your bed, you go to your bed, you go to another house. I don't want you here anymore. That's what the kids can sort of drive you nuts like that. But the reason why gives us our reason to keep going. And so we've got to, even when we lose sight of our why, we've got to come back to it. Now, we kind of skipped over something really important by starting in chapter 8 today. So I want to come back to um, Nehemiah 6, 15 and 16. Because what were the people doing? They were building a wall. Okay, one of you got it. So it's, um, I'm glad. We've already spent six weeks on this. Um, so they were rebuilding the wall. And, and when we were looking at rebuilding momentum, they got to a point that they built it to their, their height of their own head. Now, again, that's, that's significant. Now, how long do you think they would have taken? A couple of months. So we've got so a couple of months of 60 days. So remember, and so remember, they also had opposition. So you had people who were working with swords in one hand and bricklaying equipment in the other hand. That's how they were working. Couple of years, so Lynn's actually not. She's actually not confident anymore. I'm going, I'm going, so anyone want to sort of throw in in the middle? So a couple of months, couple of years. Oh, so Tony's ruined it for everyone. So fifty-two days. So fifty-two days to build a wall around a city of people that weren't labourers, and the city was not a small little dinky place. It's not like building a fence. It was building a wall to a point that it could defend itself against opposition. Now, they were left with a few people that were in the city. So 52 days against opposition, against cleaning up the rubble, against everything else that was going 52 days is an amazing thing. So on October 2nd, the war was finished just 52 days after we'd begun. And when our enemies and surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. 
And they realised this work had been done with the help of God. Again, we see Nehemiah with this really important point. That we see this was done only with the help of God. Again, he doesn't sit back and go, you know what? We put the block to shame. They take months, we take 52 days. Like, look at us. Okay, they don't do a TV show about us. No, Nehemiah said, this happened because of God. And so, all of a sudden, we get to a point where we see they've actually achieved what they wanted to do. So you'd think at the end of chapter 6, Nehemiah would finish and it all be over. But the thing is, Again, Nehemiah wasn't just about rebuilding a wall. It was about bringing God back to the people of Israel and having them put their faith and trust in him. So over the next few chapters, you see um, Nehemiah takes the census. Um, He actually sort of calls the people together. And in chapter 8, what happens, you see this: the people gathered together and Ezra begins reading out the book of the law. So um, right from Genesis right through to to the book of Numbers. Now he started early in the morning and it went to midday. So if you guys ever complain about me, okay, remember the people of Israel that day. And the thing is, they were happy to listen. So again, if you complain, I'll be going, oh, you're nothing like those people of Israel. They were happy to listen for hours. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not going that long today. So we'll be, we'll be finished before midday. So it's still an hour away. So we've got plenty of time. Um, but what I want to look at today is, is, is rebuilding our purpose and how this works for us today, how it worked for Nehemiah. And the first thing we've got to look at with our purpose is the importance of purpose, the importance of it. Uh, a number of years ago, I preached this series and, and it was called Our Attention Determines Our Direction, Which Determines Our Destination. And in short, that basically means purpose will get you where you want to get to. And it becomes one of those things. And so purpose applies across the range in a lot of areas in life. If, if you want to get fit, you kind of go, oh, well, my goal is to get fit. And so my attention, is, so my purpose, I want to get fit so that I can, I can run a marathon or I can compete in the Olympics or um, and maybe for some of you, want it for the youth, I want to outdo other people in the records night next year. But the thing is, so you've got a purpose and it guides you, but all of a sudden, if I'm looking towards my goal and, 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 and my attention is focused on that, all of a sudden, to get there, to actually build up my fitness, I don't go via McDonald's. Um, I, I, walking to McDonald's and home again is not a good exercise, unless you go to McDonald's in Gladstone. Okay? I probably allow that. Like, if you want to walk to Gladstone and go to McDonald's there, you probably can get McDonald's. But if you're going just around the corner or you, some of you like to go walk to McDonald's, I'm just going to go through drive-through. You're not, even, you're not even thinking about walking. So drive-through from McDonald's is definitely out. So, but, so all of a sudden your, your attention, what you are focused on, will determine the way you go and will determine where you get to. You cannot sit and go, do you know what? I want to get straight A's to my report card this year and I'm going to do that by staying up and watching TV late each night. It won't work. I'm going to, I want to sort of get promoted at work and I'm going to do that by showing up late each day and leaving early as I can and taking as many sickies as I can. Again, it won't work. And so you've actually got to make sure your focus is guiding you in the right direction. See, purpose also, it gives us our why. Why we do things. And, and that becomes really important because our why actually motivates us at times when we don't want to do it. Again, going back to the, the, the exercise one, the getting fit. If you, if you go, I want to get fit, and I go, oh, I don't want to go to the gym today. 
and all of a sudden, but I want to get fit. And all of a sudden, it, it pushes you past the trials and the roadblocks that we get in our way. And it, it becomes, of course, for everything. But all of a sudden, if we have a wide saying, you know what? Jesus wants us to share our faith so that people can know that God loves them and so they can come into the truth and reality that they are set free forever. If that becomes our why, all of a sudden, and God taps us on the shoulder and says, I want you to share with that person in your family. I want you to share with that person down the street. I want you to share with that stranger in front of you. And all of a sudden, but I don't want to. And all of a sudden, God goes, but remember your why. Why do I ask you to do this? Because and all of a sudden, that gives us motivation to get past the things that hold us back. Um, now, the thing, as I said before, sometimes we can lose sight of our why. And even when we lose sight of our why, we can still the right direction. Like we might just have a really a really big season in our workplace and we could have a really um, sort of um, tough time of life. Maybe we've got people sick or your own health has gone bad and, and, and you just have a really tough time and so getting through the day becomes a great goal. Do you know what? I woke up and that's a good start and I've got to sleep. That's, that's even better. And my so sometimes we do have those moments and so you kind of you keep moving in direction but the problem is when we lose sight of our why if we lose sight of it for too long what happens is we get to a point that it starts to waver and, and we do one of two things we can go way off track and all of a sudden we go this way and we end up we kind of go how did I get here? at what point, what point of time did I, did I start moving in the wrong direction? and because we lost sight of our why the other thing that happens when we lose sight of our why we get to a point where we go why am I doing this? There's no reason for me to keep doing this. And you stop altogether. Why am I going to church? Why am I, why are we, why am I involved in doing these things? Why am I looking after my family? They don't care what I do. I'm just going to give up. And we lose sight of our why and, and we don't keep pressing on through that. Um, but what we've got to remember is that our why will give us determination in our trials. When things get tough, our why becomes our motivation. Well, going back to Nehemiah, um, one of the things I noticed straight away as we looked at chapter 8 was that they were unified in purpose. Unified in purpose. Now, this becomes a really interesting one, especially as you start to, I suppose, focus in this idea on, of purpose within the church, purpose within the Christian life. Uh, Nehemiah 8.1, it says, All the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square just inside the water's gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. They were unified in purpose. Now, one of the things when you say they were unified in purpose, whose purpose? Were they unified in Nehemiah's purpose or Ezra's purpose? Was, it, was there someone else in the community going, do you know what, this is what I want to do? And so we get to the point, is it me, is it we, or is it him? Because a lot of times I, I've seen churches who operate on a me mentality. It's about what we want and the whys that we, we want to do this for this reason. We want to have this happen for this reason. And everyone brings their whys in and, and, their, and their reasons for what they want to do. And it becomes this competitive nature. And so maybe one idea is more popular than the other. And all of a sudden, okay, we, we do this instead. And, and then goes, and it just becomes a big sort of mess. People get hurt, their feelings hurt. People coming, people don't want to do that anymore and it just becomes a mess because it's all about me. It's all about me. 
and my whys for doing this. I want church to be done by this time. I want church to cater to my needs. I want church to tell me how good I am. I want church and I want a recliner so I can, I can actually feel comfortable in what we do. I want to sort of be able to sit back and, and sort of just enjoy, let the words of me and hopefully they'll put me to sleep as, as I'm sitting there in that recliner. Or we move from the me to the we and the thing is, again, I've seen churches that have a we mentality in the sense that, hey, this is what we want to do. Now the thing is, just because you've got everyone agreeing doesn't mean that they're actually doing what God wants them to do. And so they can go, you know, we want a church that is just a social club for us. We don't want to let anyone in. We don't want to associate with them. We don't want to reach out. We want to look after our people. And they go from this age to this age to this age, and then they start to sort of drop off, and we go, what happened? Why aren't people coming to our church? Because it was all about we were unified in purpose. It just wasn't the right. But if we get to the point where we go, it is about him and his purpose for us, we've got it. We then sort of we let God truly and fully define who we are, what we do, our identity, and our mission. That becomes really important because sometimes if we want to be like, if we look at other churches and go, hey, we want to be like them because we will get this happening for us. Or we want to be this, like this church because this thing will happen for us. But in no way does that sort of mean that God wants that for us. You even look through the New Testament. The churches that Paul went to were each different. They, were, they had different strengths. They had different weaknesses as well, but they were all different. And so God does not want us to all be the same. In Nehemiah 8.6, again, um, we read, Then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted, Amen, Amen, as they lifted their hands and they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now, so so Ezra's been reading the Bible for a long time at this point in time. Now, when they yelled out Amen, it wasn't like someone woke up and go, Oh, yeah, I was praying. So um, when they said Amen, it was, We agree, we agree. We agree with what has been read today. We agree with what's been happening and we agree with the challenges that are being put in front of us. We agree with how God is convicting us right now and we agree that we are going to worship God together. We agree in the purpose that God is showing us and this becomes um, really important as we identify being unified in purpose. It becomes God's purpose. Not my purpose, not your purpose, but God's purpose for us. God's purpose for us. So, now, good news. We're two points into a three-point sermon. Bad news. Third point's really, really big. Because the question is, what is our purpose? What is our purpose? Now, again, this is something that has been discussed over and over again. You can go out there and grab books. I'm going to share a few points from some books that are out there which talk about purpose. Um, and we can debate about what our purpose is. And in fact, I've actually been part of ministries where we've actually spent more time debating what our purpose is than actually doing anything. We kind of go, what should we be doing? And that becomes a meeting time. Well, we should do this, or we should do that. And again, probably not taking that active approach, saying, God, what do you want us to do? But we actually spend more time discussing our purpose than actually doing anything with it. And, but I think, and I think you can overthink it at times, But I think in the end, purpose with God becomes pretty easy. I think there's different ways of saying what God wants us to do. But if we look at Scripture, you actually see there are a number of things that are repeated over and over again which God wants us to do. 
Um, first, I want to share quickly from uh, Purpose Driven Life. Uh, this was a book written by Rick Warren a number of years ago, and he highlights uh, five areas that are, are, are purpose for us as Christians. Um, first of all, he says, you are planned for God's pleasure, which is Christian worship. Like, that's what he made us for. He made us to worship God. And again, that doesn't mean that we are here every moment of the day singing songs. It means that we live in a way that is obedient to God. Um, purpose two, you were formed for God's family. We were formed to belong to the family of God. And that exists both at a local level like this, but also as God's universal church. We're not meant to be isolated Christians fighting for ourselves. There's no pictures in the Bible that look like that. It doesn't happen at all. Purpose three, you were created to become like Christ, which is discipleship. We, we were made to be like him. We weren't just made to get in the door of, the, of, the, of, of heaven. We were made to look like Jesus and to walk like Jesus and to love like Jesus and to have the character of Jesus. Purpose four, you were shaped for serving God. Christianity is not a spectator sport. In fact, like the only spectators are the ones who have gone on before us. The saints who are in the audience cheering us on, saying you're doing a great job. Every other Christian is on the field. Well, should be. Some of us try early retirement, I think, as Christians. We get to the point saying, God, I, I actually did, did my time. Um, it was really hard that one day that I served with the preschoolers at church and they really sort of um, stretched me, but I'd like to hand in my retirement now and um, sit on the seats and just take it easy for the rest of my life. And again, it doesn't mean that you're involved in a ministry in the church per se. It might be serving God in your home in your street, in your workplace. But we were shaped for serving God. It gives us a why across the board of what we were meant to do. And then we were made for Christian mission. Again, that follows on with this idea of service. We were made to take the message of God to other people. We were made for that. So that's Chris, uh, um, uh, Rick Warren's uh, take on, on, on purpose and life. Um, James Dobson shared something. I couldn't actually find the exact quote as I was looking this week, but he said, he was talking to a group of young adults, and he said, the most important three decisions that you will make in your life are your master, your mate, and your mission. And because if you don't get the first one right, all of a sudden your, your mate and your mission have become all about you. And so if you get the first one right, hopefully those second two will follow in line. But we even have people in the Bible sort of asking the same question. What would you have us do? We see this in, in Micah chapter 6. Um, in verse 6 you see um, the prophet sort of asking this question. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Well, well how, what ways can I honour you, God? What can I do that will be pleasing to you? I don't know if you've ever prayed that, God. What can I do to make you happy with my, my life? What can I make you do? What can I do to? Sometimes we pray it a different way. Sometimes we pray it like this. What can I do to make up for all the bad stuff I did yesterday? Again, we're trying to earn our salvation with that prayer. That's not right. But sometimes we do ask the question in, a, in an honest way: God, how can I honour you with my life? And God actually answered him uh, in verse eight. He says, "He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you?" So he's basically displayed that, and he says, "But to do justly." to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So, so love and mercy and, and doing justice and being obedient to God with God as the master. Like if you're walking humbly with God, God is in his right place 
It's not occasionally checking in and saying, God, um, I've got a bit of spare time. You've got any jobs for me to do? It's saying, God, what would you like me to do with my life? How do you want to use my life in my workplace? How do you want to use my life in my family? How do you want to use my life in my church? How do you want to use my life both now and next year and the 10 years after that and saying, God, I'm going to be obedient to you. So here, those are a few uh, quick pictures of, of, of different purposes that God has given us. We also see the greatest commandment become something that really, again, highlights what God wants us to do. Uh, Matthew 22, verses 37 to 39, and Jesus replied. Uh, so he's asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? What, what can we do? And again, it was probably asked in a way, what can we do to make it good with God? And Jesus, in, in his infinite wisdom, answered in a way that was quite powerful. He said, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Um, doesn't really leave much room for putting anything else first in that. It doesn't say, God, you can come in third place. You can come in the top 50. Now, for some of us, if we came in, like, oh yeah, we come in the top 100 richest people in the world, we'd be pretty happy. Okay, your top 10 bachelors of the year. Okay, we're pretty happy. Like, if we got into some of those lists. But with God, if God comes in the top 100 of our life, he is way off number one. And that verse doesn't make any sense. God, I, I want to love you with 100th of my heart and 100th of my soul with 100th of my mind. He said, no. God says, I want you to give me everything. He said, this is the first and greatest commandment. And then he said, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So as much as you love yourself and care for yourself and want good things for yourself and want comfort and blessings in your life, in that way, love other people as well. Now, if you have Jesus and you go, you know what, I'm so fortunate that I have Jesus in my life, and if you love other people, all of a sudden that puts you back onto the mission path. That if we love people like we love ourselves, we want them to know about Jesus. We don't keep it from them. So you see how some of this stuff starts repeating? we purpose-driven life. We, we're made for mission. Like... We're walking humbly with God. We're actually loving other people. And then we move on to Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. It says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, a couple of ways we like to hear this verse instead of the way that we, instead of the way it's written. We said, therefore, Pastor Keith, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, therefore, um, people on the LBA, go and make disciples of all nations. Um, uh, therefore, um, occasionally go out and tell people that you go to church and that will be enough. No, no, it doesn't actually say that. Uh, therefore, um, it says, therefore, you go and make disciples, telling them everything that you know about Jesus. And it actually puts it right back on you. Jesus, this is a collective commandment. He says, he says it's for all of you to go out. So um, I think, Seth, you're the youngest one here. God is actually telling you to go and make disciples. Same with Angel. And then we jump up to the older, so Greg. So he's going to tell you um, to go out and make disciples as well. And everyone in between, whether you speak English as your first language or not, whether you 
you are really good at school or not, whether you don't like being in front of other people or not. God doesn't actually qualify this. He says, everyone, I want you to go into the world and make disciples so that people can know me and know my way and know the life that I have for them. The purpose here is just pretty clear. It's pretty clear. It's not sort of, it's not like a, if you want to, if you feel like it some days. It says, go, go and do this. Go and make disciples. And then I want to pick up. And again, this is only a short list because, again, I could do an Ezra and read the Bible for three hours to you this morning. I'm not going to do that. Um, (laughs) Ephesians 2.10 picks up this idea. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Again, sometimes we want to read this verse differently. We are the effort, we are, I suppose, the makeup of all the effort that I've put into my life. And I've let God into a little bit of a space in it. God, God has patched up some areas that needed patching up, but I've done everything else. This verse is no. We are God's masterpiece, which means He gets all the credit for our lives, but also if we are His. tell us who we are he gets to direct us where we go and it goes on in this verse he has created us so we can do the good things that he has planned for us to do long ago again there's this idea of serving God and following God and 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 in so doing serving others so as we look at this and 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 understanding our purpose I think our, our purpose it comes back to this idea of where we, wrote, we began the beginning is rebuilding our relationship with God. If we know God and all those things fall into line, it's about knowing and loving God and following Him. That is our purpose. That is how simple our purpose is. Now again, we will describe it in different ways. And I'm going to share briefly how we describe it as a church here. But that's how simple it is. We don't need to overcomplicate it. But we do need to ask that question. Do I know God? Do I love God? Am I showing him how I do that? Do I follow God? Do I ask him what he wants of me and then say yes when he tells me? Because some of us are afraid to even ask God, what do you want me to do? For fear that he'll tell us. We don't want to sort of be placed in a position where we kind of have to go back on our arrangement. We kind of make this deal, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. We kind of hide from God's answer. We kind of feel like we've made a great commitment to God, but we haven't done anything. And so we need to know our purpose. And building and rebuilding our purpose all come back to knowing God first. In our church, we talk about this process of knowing God and following God as our discipleship pathway. Um, we, we probably haven't been talking about it as much this year as it, it kind of disappeared in the midst of it. I thought it was a good day to, to talk about it again because our discipleship pathway is four steps. So we're a little bit more complicated than the Bible puts it in the sense of know God and follow God. But our four steps are connect, belong, watch your ministry and repeat. And connect is, about, is that first step about knowing God and helping other people get into a place where they can hear and at least get to know God as well. Belonging becomes that point where we find ourselves, we are part of something. Whether that's as part of a ministry in the church, whether it's part of the family that we are here, and it's helping people come along and be a part of it. And it's been great having Ellie over the past few, few 
much because that's what we've done. She's, we've belonged to her and she's belonged to us. And that's been great to have that happen. What your ministry becomes this question saying, God, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me to do? All of a sudden, we're sort of walking humbly with God, as Micah says, to actually love other people, as God says, to do the works that God has created in advance for us to do is, is, is this step. But it's using the gifts that God has given us to serve Him, to use the passions that He's put into our lives to serve Him. And again, that may be standing up the front here. It may be working downstairs in our Sunday school. It may be mowing the lawns. It may be sort of helping out on a Friday night with our youth. It may be talking to people in the neighbourhood. It might be volunteering and helping out an RI. There's a lot of things that you can sort of, it can be, and, and it sort of can be helping out at morning tea. It can be helping out your next door neighbours. It can be mowing someone else's yard because they're struggling to do it. We can show God's love that way. And it can be a ministry that God gives you. It may not be a title. It may not be a title that goes with it, but you are fulfilling that role of ministry. We as a church have been actively trying to do that, not only with our adults, but also with our young people. We have one of our young people downstairs most Sundays helping out with our Sunday school. It's really exciting because in two weeks' time, they're actually doing most of the work. So Angel, Tessa and Taya are going to be leading the children and leading the adults in worshipping God. Why? Because they have a ministry too. So don't ever feel like, oh, I'm not able to do something else. God has something for you to do. Even if it's going and making disciples. And that might be in your family. That could be just with your grandchildren or your children. There is a ministry there for you. And our last step is repeat because why would God ask us to do to go into the world and make a disciple? No, he didn't say a disciple. He actually kept, he said, go in the world and make disciples. In fact, uh, again, and this is something I've never read it myself, but it's been told to me and I believe it to be true. That verse should read in English this way Go, or as you are going, make disciples. As you are living life, make disciples. As you go into your workplace, make disciples. As you are growing your family, make disciples. As you retire, make disciples. As you go out and do something with your friends and family, make disciples. As you meet a stranger down the street, make disciples. As you are going, be in this process. That's what it means to repeat. And it is so important for each one of us to take that responsibility seriously where we are able to get into a place where we see the importance of others growing in their faith with Jesus Christ. It's about rebuilding our purpose. I pray that as you think over the past weeks that if there is a step that you need to take in rebuilding an aspect of of your Christian life, that you would seriously engage with that. That you would come to a point where you're going, do you know what? My relationship with God is not, not where it should be. And get back to that place. To go spend time in the presence of God. To go see God do something again with you. To grow in faith and, and to grow in vision and to see momentum happen both in your own life but also in the life of the To rebuild your hope and get to a point where you are walking in the purpose that God has for your life. That's what God wants us to. He doesn't want us to stay in brokenness. He doesn't want us to stay in, in despair. He doesn't want us to stay in the, in the places where everything seems to be tumbled down around us. 
He wants us to rebuild. And I, re- I think He wants our church to be moving in that same direction. And I ask you to be a part of that process, to let your faith and, and relationship with God and, and God's vision for you sort of come together with everyone else so that we can be unified in the purpose that God wants for us to know Him and to be obedient to Him. Let's just pray together. Lord, today as we come and, and dwell in your presence, I, I pray that you would just impact in our hearts this idea of uh, rebuilding our purpose, to know why we are doing the things we are doing or to even give us a, a fresh sense of, of why, to, to help us start something brand new. Lord, I pray that we as a church would understand what it is to connect and belong and to find what our ministry is and to, to be involved in the process of repeating disciples, to seeing disciples come over and over again and to, to live a life of disciple-making so that people would know all of you and all that you have. I pray that we would be willing to be discipled ourselves and to learn more of you and how you impact our, all of our areas of our lives. And we can come to a point where we can say, I love the God with all my heart, mind, soul and strength. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So Lord, help us as this week, as we move in the process of rebuilding, help us as a church to rebuild well as well, exactly as you see us. And we pray this. In your name. Amen.